It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. I'm Humble Howard from the uh, Humble and Fred Show, of course, better known as Golf Spiritual Leader. <laughs> and uh, with me is the real thing. Uh, he is a mental performance coach. He's got several certifications. He does. I've seen them. And uh, he's been uh, working with uh, clients and uh, leaders, thought leaders. I like that. Tim O'Connor from O'ConnorGolf.ca. How about that? You work with thought leaders. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm very thoughtful. Um, you, 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 sir, you, you sort of have a certain energy about you today. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> well, energy from you. What's, what's going you, on? I, here? I'm sorry. You're, I've got too much energy or not enough. Uh, it just seems to be on the low ebb. Well, you know, the season's winding down, Tim. Season's winding down. Game. Is that something? No, no, no. Wait, wait a sec here. It, it, was your last golf game not maybe up to your standards or something? No, yesterday was I shot 73, so it was fine. Oh, all right. Okay. Just yeah. wanted to explore. Although, although it could have been 68. If, uh, uh, you know, coulda, shoulda thing, if eh? golf had, if you know, the thing about golf, it never really tires of fucking with you. That's right. We're not doing a radio show anymore, my friend. That's right. We're back on the internet. Uh, you know what? I could be. Uh, I, I haven't been awake very long, and I've just been doing laundry, and I haven't had a coffee. But, uh, you know, I'm in the low key. I got, listen, we got a big show today. Very we'll excited. Get a coffee, and Mike and I will talk. No, I got a coffee. Oh, okay. We got a big show today. I'm very excited about our guest. Before we get to him, let's acknowledge that this season has been made better by being associated with tailor-made golf. You know, the, uh, the the this the sim driver you know what i like I, I don't know if you've had the have you had a lot of chance to hit that uh, hybrid nope i don't have that hybrid oh you don't have the hybrid no 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 you have no, hybrid I envy <laughs> i do i do i know i just got the driver the new p790s and that was it in terms yeah. of new gear this year well i'll tell you that hybrid's ridiculous it goes further than man was meant to hit a hybrid that's all i'm going to tell you uh, I, I will tell you after we speak Boy, to Mike. After we speak to Mike, uh, maybe later uh, when it's just you and I again, I'll tell you about a, a beautiful golf course I got to play again for the first time in a long time. I was in a tournament early in the week at Brantford Golf and Country Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, real sweet. Um, but first, uh, today on the show is a, a guy I've gotten to know the last couple years. The very first time I saw him was on a golf course. I didn't really know him, and uh, me and another buddy of mine, we just joined up with his group, and uh, I was like, oh, who's this kid? I kind of knew he was a decent player, and then we get to this par five, and I think I, you know, I hit a good drive, I had a pretty nice shot, and then he hits his drive, and an entire golf course past my drive, and I was like, I don't think I hit it like he does, but besides being a very good golf swing her, swing her, he is also a uh, deep thinker about the game and has uh, worked with a lot of amateur golfers on their game. He's the uh, head professional at Glen Karen and uh, a buddy of mine, Mike Marshall. Hi, Mike. Hi, Howard. Hi, Tim. Hey, Thanks man. for having me uh, on the show today, boys. That first day in, in Palm it. Springs, was it you that hit the ball off the beer can or was that Newsom? I think that was Newsom. <laughs> that's I don't want to take credit for him, but that's I would do something like that. That's the kind of round it was, Tim. <laughs> it was like, are we hitting balls off beer cans? I'm fine. Um, and you, of I, course, know Mike from your association with Clublink. You uh, you do some webinar or you do some seminar hosting, and Mike's been part of that. Yeah, the um, I've just known Mike, you know, in and out of the golf shop and chat and that kind of stuff, but. Um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a workshop called Getting Unstuck, and uh, Mike arranged that, um, and he sat in, and it was uh, that was a great session. It was a good chance to um, spend some time with Mike and get to get to know his approach to the game about you know basically the terrain between your ears rather than as a swinger or ger or swinger say it. <laughs> um, well, and and Mike, just briefly give us some background. Your 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 sort of 
trajectory in the golf business, uh, where you came from and how you got to be the head professional in a club link, you know, organ in the, in the club link organization. Sure. Um, worked for a lot of years on, in the food and beverage aspect of golf. And then I was lucky enough. My wife and I moved down to the Caribbean and, uh, started teaching the, at the school that she was working at the junior golf program. I was always interested in golf and that kind of, you know, spearheaded the idea of me turning professional and, and, uh, becoming a teacher and then worked a couple of years, um, before I went to club link and I was two years at Eagle Ridge under Dave Newsom and, uh, had a lot of fun there and implemented some, some great, uh, teaching things when I was there and then moved over to Glen Karen. And this is my fourth season and second season as a head professional there. I, I don't know the answer to this. Tim probably does. Are, are, are most head pros now in the world of golf? Cause when Tim and I were younger, this was part of the job. Do all head pros teach as part of being the head professional or is that, or are some, just administrators. I would say most of them um, would teach. Um, I like I like to teach because that's what I'm passionate about. But uh, we do have director of instructions at clubbing facilities that that that's all they do is teach. Um, so you're either want to be involved in um, running a club and and uh, member relationships or you want to be involved in the teaching and i happen to to like both of those so i kind of dabble in each it's really interesting with all the golf professionals that i know that the way the business has evolved it's so much more about the business Mm -hmm. taking you know managing people uh, inventories all that kind of stuff Um, but it's always when the conversation turns to actually playing the game uh, or teaching or just that's when it really comes alive f- for guys. So there's the, there's that business side that you got to take care of spreadsheets and returning emails and stuff, but it always comes back to me. I don't like how you reflect on that. You know, when you're on the tee working with someone, is that where like, I don't know, your heart sings, if you will. Yeah, it gets, uh, gets the blood flowing. That's, you know, why I became a golf professional and, I've always liked teaching. I've coached lots of sports and um, coached and ran a little wakeboard business when I was younger at my cottage. And I was always interested in, in teaching. And I find that, you know, if you can show somebody and then describe and get them to do that, it's, uh, it's gratifying for sure. I love looking at people and when they hit a good shot and they look back and they're like, yeah, I did it. And it's, you know, and it, you know, it's amazing. When, when Tim and I were younger, though, the tradition of golf professionals were that they have to do everything. You know, they had to run the shop and the different leagues and the, they had to be in charge of, you know, like to be this kind of miniature business and the, the cart rentals and all that stuff. And they were sort of expected to be pretty good golfers. You know, I, I, I bring this up partly because I want to get some... I want to get into how Mike teaches that's a little bit different than most teachers. But, you know, I was watching some of the early uh, stuff this week live from the uh, U.S. Open. And at Wingfoot, they talked about a tradition of having their head professional be a very good player. It was something the club, you know, saw as an asset. And, you know, same at the National. It basically was a tradition of hiring you know, from Ben Kern to Norm Hitzroth and others, guys that could really play. I don't know the answer if that's a premium in the Club Link organization, but I will say, in Mike's case, we have a head professional that can really play the game at a high, high level, not just because he mashes. <laughs> like when, you know, there's different sounds that my ball makes and your ball makes. That certain guys mash the ball. He's one of them, but he's also a very good player. I say this all, Mike, by way of getting us into, as a very good player, you see the game like good players do. And even though you can stand on the range, and you and I talked about this the other day, it's like you stand there forever, 
the, the conversation about having you on the show began one day when I had talked to you right after a playing lesson. And Timmy, I was like, you know, that, you don't hear that very often, that guys like Mike will take two and a half hours and go do nine with one of their students. And yet, I think that's where the best learning happens. What do you think? Uh, is that for Mike? No, for, for Mike. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can stand and stand behind a person or get them into a specific spot on the driving range and do some box training where you just seven iron, seven iron, seven iron, seven iron. But the, I'm not going to learn much about the way that they think until I get them on the golf course. And I mean, thinking is one of the main reasons why people are good or they're not. They, you know, you could have the best swing like Howard and I have talked about. You could have an amazing swing on the driving range. But if you don't have that six inches between your ears out on the golf course, I mean, you're, you're never going to be that elite player because you have to think your way around. You're never, ever going to hit 10 seven irons in a row. <laughs> no. so why are you practicing that way? But Unless you also, keep hitting it out of bounds. Correct. Yes. Um, but... I mean, you never. I'm never going to really learn about a student and get them to be a better player until I see them on the golf course and see right. their their swing thought. Right? It just goes back to that that point where you know what what are you what are you thinking about? Where are you trying to hit it? Where are you? Where's your line? Where's your where's your miss? Right? You're never ever going to hit perfect golf shots out there. Maybe one or two around. So how do you how do you recover? Timmy, what did you want to say? Well, I was going to say that that for so many golfers, it's just like a mystery, like politics and religion, <laughs> about why they could be like a scratch on the range and go out and you know just beat it all over the place. What do you think, Mike, is the key thing, if you can put a finger on maybe one or two, what's the difference that goes on between the ears for someone on the course that is kind of like that disruptor, if you will? Well, depending on the golf course, but I mean, once you're once you're off the range, the range is just a giant field with some circles and a flag, a couple of flags, right? Once you get on the golf course, then you've kind of got to, you know, remember the golf course if you've played it a lot. And okay, this flag's here. I can't hit it to this spot because you know it's going to move the wrong way. Or this is how I get to this flag. And I mean, this is how people should think on the golf course. But a lot of people just fire at flags knowing that, you know, if I miss it by a foot or two, I'm short-sighted, I'm in trouble, I'm in a bunker. And now that turns an easy par from the middle of the fairway if you just hit it in the middle of the green to, you know, make a double. But let, let me ask this for both of you, and, and maybe I'll answer it as well. But when you two play, and I know Tim does this with some of his coaching, but when you go out on a golf course with somebody that you're working with, what are some of the mistakes, the higher handicaps? And, and, you know, we don't need to mention this guy, but Mike's been working with somebody who I think hits it great. He's a great swinger of the club, but his plan doesn't always, it doesn't match, like, the game that we talk about. So, I'll, Timmy, what, what about you? Like, when you're working with someone, what are some of the first things that you see that people do that start leaking strokes? I'm, not, I'm talking from the T-Box onward well something that i see that happens every everywhere from like uh low handicap players to higher handicap players they they always seem to think that on whatever shot they that's they're faced with that they're going to hit the best shot of their life <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this is going to turn out perfect because last week, I, you know, I nutted a drive on this hole, so I'm going to take this line because I want to be left with sand wedge into this green. So what people don't do is they don't give themselves any uh, much margin for error that, you know, they're in fact not going to hit it great. And really, at golf at its core is you're maybe going to hit maybe one, or, you know, this is pros. They're yeah. going to maybe hit two, three, four shots that are, exactly the way they envisioned them. So I just see that people just don't have enough um, yeah, leeway if the, if the, that they might you know, hit a shot that doesn't go exactly right. So they don't leave themselves a kind of a bailout. Uh, they're going to leave themselves, even if they, they, they hit it 
not great, they're still going to be alive. Well, well could you say it this way? Like, it's almost like a lot of golfers that play the game don't really have a plan for each hole. And that's kind of what Mike was getting at and what you just sort of touched on. Mike, is that kind of, would that be fair to say that, you know, when you and I play together, you can kind of clearly see each of us are sort of deciding on the tee how we're going to play that hole on that day, given all the conditions. What about you? What do you see when you go out on a playing lesson? Yeah, a playing lesson, you know, I just try to pick try to pick their brain to start with, like right off the first hole. Okay, what 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 shot is required? You know, where is going to give you the best angle into the green? Um, what what's going to get you into trouble? Like what yardage? What's not going to get you into trouble? So, you know, if it's a par 5 and it's pretty wide open, you know, swing driver unless it's into the wind and you know that you can't get there in two shots. Right. So there's no point of mashing a driver out there and trying to hit it as hard as you can, which a lot of people, that's what they do when they get driver in their hand. Um, and probably more now because you've been talking about how I mash the ball. <laughs> no, but I, I would say this respectfully. You don't. I, I played golf with Mike recently and it was a weird round. I think he only had, what did we say at the end? He had like four pars. Four pars, yeah. He had four pars, and I think he shot 75, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he birdies every hole. He just, it, somebody said, how did Marsh play? I said he birdied 19 holes. <laughs> but you do it, even as long as you are, I can tell you're not taking on flags that you have no business going after. But I want to roll it back. I'm a 15 handicap now. I've got you two guys as my coaches, and I'm on a 520-yard par 5 into the wind. I don't even need to hit driver. The problem with a lot of higher handicap players, even lower ones too, but is that they just see the number is this, so it must be a driver, so I'm half... And, and it becomes this routine of, of futility, if I can say that, and I think it happens a lot to guys that play their home course a lot because they just get up and go, "Well, this oh, is yeah. a long, this is a bar five, so I better." But but if you break it down, you know, uh, there's one hole at our course. It's 565 yards, and I've stopped yesterday. I played it. It was downhill, downwind, I should say. But I still can't really get there in two. So what I'm what I do off the tee is I hit something. Maybe it's my choke down driver or a three wood that just gets me in play. And I think you guys. Uh, would agree or not that a lot of the mistakes that golfers make is they start on that tee by making a plan that doesn't suit the situation or their ability. I'm going to jump in on that one because I think that most golfers believe that their salvation is in their swing mechanics. Yes. If they have a bad round, what do they do? Like, okay, I'll see in the bar, but I got to go to the range and hit a few balls <laughs> and try and find what, what find the magic. So if that's the mentality that we take to golf generally, then when we get on the golf course, we're not ready to make decisions. We're not ready to evaluate what's going on. We're not in a place to go, well, today, you know, I usually draw the ball, but for some reason I'm hitting a bit of a pull. So there's no adjustment because they're still on the golf course trying to figure out how to draw the ball again. Right. And Howard, a theme that you've been um kind of riding and i am been loving it is the playing of the game right. and that's what we're talking about it's those decisions you know when to take on a flag when to hit for the fat side that is the playing of the game but unfortunately as i said most people um it's all about you know am i tucking my right elbow in and transferring my weight well and mike we had this conversation just a couple of weeks ago about you know there's no real relationship to being a good golf swinger to golf player because not every shot that Mike or I or good players we, we're not hitting it on the button all the time we're hitting it in variations of kind of okay um, when you do a playing lesson after you sort of pick their brain you know one of the things that's good about the way you play and I'm assuming the way you teach is there's a way to plot your way around each hole from whether you're in the fairway or you're in trouble and those are the things, I think, Mike, that really save amateur golfers' strokes. Because not everyone sure. not everyone can make eight birdies or whatever you made the other day and made me puke. Um, not everyone can do that to cover their mistakes. 
So what do we have to do to lessen our mistakes? Oh, well, I mean, you see it, you see it all the time, right? And especially on like par fives where, like we said, they just pull out driver or a long par four and pull out driver, hit it, you know, offline. And especially at our place, you get into the fescue or, um, you know, you get into a bunker that, you know, most of our bunkers are, are pretty much jail. You're just pitching out mm-hmm. and the fescue when it's long and thick, Tim, you played it a lot, right? You know that there's not too many options to 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 play a shot to get you back into a position to not make a bogey or not make a double. So, you know, you just see guys that are 310 yards out in the fescue trying to hit a three wood or a hybrid. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or or, you know, just trying to hit, always trying to hit those hero shots. And yeah. when they do work out, that's great. But the percentage of that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work all the time. So why not pick a number, pick a line that you're not going to get into trouble and put yourself into a position that it's going to be, you know, your third shot into a par five is from the middle of the fairway and you've got a wedge in your hand rather than trying to muscle a hybrid that, might stay in, might come out, might get into some more trouble because you hit it too good, right? It's just, it's just mentally you got to plot your way around. It's like playing chess. Mm-hmm, you yeah. play chess against these guys that are professional chess players, and they know what they're, you're thinking. You know, six moves before you are. Yeah. Well, so what as are the things you can uh, do that? Yeah. Well, I've been doing uh, putting clinics uh, last couple of weeks, and. I, I get asked this all the time. Hey, I'm out on the golf course. I'm not hitting it great. What do I do? And I say, you know what? Just do what you feel comfortable doing. <laughs> and the key thing is, is that you don't have to hit it great solid every time to score. You can still score when when you're hitting it a little squirrely if you play a little smarter. It's like, you know, rather than hitting, you know, this hybrid, as you talked about, into this par four, all that. And then, you know, so what's going to happen? They're going to be tense. They're going to be worried about you know, what, but if you say like, okay, if I hit a little eight iron down there, I'm going to feel so much more free. It's like, we've been talking about it again, you know, swing aggressively to conservative targets and yeah. you'll just find people's listening that you'll swing, your swing will be just that little bit better because you don't have as much tension and yeah. concern about the results. It's funny that anxiety Mike, level that leads yeah. to freer swings. Exactly. You know, like Mike and I were playing together with two other very good players. And this is kind of how part of this conversation began is that Mike and I were, you know, sort of in the middle of the fairway. And these two guys, again, very good players who could make good decisions. But Mike just sort of mentioned, he goes, hey, they're both hitting high. They were kind of in, we thought they were in kind of crappy lies. And listen, the, whatever it turned out, the lies were good enough for them to think they could hit hybrid because they both hit it fine. But that wasn't even the point. We were going like, Dude, why are they hitting hybrid? Now, because uh, the hybrid brings in all kind of dispersion that leads Mm -hmm. to more chaos. Whereas our first instinct, and I I think that's what we agreed on, was I'm just looking for something irony to get me back into play. And the dispersion on a six or seven iron from that lies a lot less. Whether you pull it off or not isn't really the point. It's the... It's the what's your intention part. And I think, Marsh, with higher handicap players, ironically, they do that worse. They're, oh, yeah. they're not only because they, are they not good swingers of the, of the club, say, versus a scratch, but they're planning, which is what Tim and I have been harping on for four years. You don't have to swing it like us to play better golf. You just have to think more like better players. Mike, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, you're a perfect example of what we're just talking about because on that same hole, you knew that you couldn't get to the green. Yeah. So what's the why? Why? So you asked me two questions, and this is how everybody should think. Because like, if I'm if I'm out there playing or I'm doing a playing lesson, I'm giving my student as much information that they can deal with at one time. If you're trying to hit it at a flag. Okay, well, what's the yardage to the flag? What's the yardage to the back of the green? What's the yardage to the front of the green? Is there a bunker in your way? What do you have to hit to clear that bunker? Or are you going to aim somewhere else? And, I mean, you were coming into the par five. It was into the wind. You knew you couldn't get there in two. So you said, okay, there's a bunker up on the left. What is it for me to get into that bunker? I gave you the number. 
you took a club that's not going to get you to that spot at all, and now you're not in trouble. But a lot of the, the higher handicap guys would go, well, it's a par five and it's my second shot. I got to hit three wood. Mm-hmm. Instead of placing yourself in a better position on the golf course than hitting a three wood that you might hit once every 25 times. <laughs> Maybe. Solid, right? And most of the time it's, you know, your dispersion on a three wood, like you said, with the hybrid is is less well, the two questions, the two questions I asked Mike was, why, no, the two questions I asked Mike was, why are they hitting hybrid? No, it's not. Uh, the two questions were, uh, what's the artist to the green? You told me, and it was just outside of my comfort zone. I said, what's the artist to that bunker? So I hit six iron gap wedge. And then I didn't make birdie or I don't even know, but I made an easy par. It was an easy, everything yeah. from the moment, from that moment to the finishing of the hole, it was kind of, Timmy, to your point, stress less. Anxiety reducing, not elevating. What were you going to say, T? Yeah, that's when that's when you start to really learn the game. Is is when you start to make de- better decisions like that. Mm-hmm. But it, um, the point I was going to make was is that so you have golfers like Howard who have a trained swing and a trained mind, if you will. I mean, golf wise, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. A trained go. mind, like a squirrel chasing some yeah. lettuce. Exactly. <laughs> but I've also played with golfers who don't have a trained swing, but they have a trained mind. Yeah. And uh, a great example of that was uh, Bruce Simmons, who is the, you know, president, used to be the president of Clublink back in the day when I was their director of communications. And I remember playing with him. And of course, you know, I'm, you know, Mr. I called myself back in those days, Ernest Grinder, you know, trying to do everything right, you know, trying to swing perfectly. And I played with Bruce, and he kind of had this, you know, that fire and fallback swing, you know, not too graceful. But he just plotted his way around the golf course very smartly. And, you know, I, you know, I came in with like a, something like a, an 83, and he had, you know, very easy 79. Yeah. Just because of the choices he made around the golf course. So the point is, is that you don't have to hit it great. And a lot of golfers, um, uh, whether amateur or professional, they win and they have low handicaps because they make really good decisions. They don't hit it great all the time. There's, you know, they have these weird, funky swings, and you know, occasionally it goes offline, but they just make good decisions. Well, I think the irony of Mike as a teacher is Mike does hit it great. So I think a lot of students come to Mike. They go, "Hey, teach me how to hit it great." So I can make eight birdies around. But what makes you eight birdies around is that your misses are good for sure. But you're you're around the hole a lot of the time. If I'm a 15 handicap and I go out with Mike Marshall, once you get into my head a little bit, you know, are you starting to talk to them about these kind of things like, you know, maybe not always going for your driver or not always, you know, but not always swinging it as hard as you can. It took me a long time to figure that part out, that on every hole, I don't need to beat this driver out there as far as I can. And, and, I, and because, I, I, because the far hitting leads to f- bigger, bigger mistakes. What about you, Mikey? What are you telling these guys? Did Mike freeze? Because it looks like either he's really mad at us, yeah, like the very screen's stern. Fr- very stern... Yeah, he does. Look at that. Look at that. That, that screen job. cap is... He's gone now. See, yeah, okay. I knew something was wrong. But He'll come I'm, back. You know, well, you know, it's interesting you're mentioning this because U.S. Open week, right? Yeah. So so Bryson DeChambeau just hitting for... Swinging for the fences yeah, every... Can't last. No, it, well, that's that, that's what I think, too. Never mind the USGA RNA is going to roll the ball back, but... Um, is that, that what you're hearing? Yeah. Yeah, it's it. Do you really think the, that's coming? I do. Yeah, I do. they. I. I don't know. I. Mean, let, let's like leave that discussion to the but, end. But anyways, here's no. Here's where I'm going no, with no, it. No, here's where it's you're that, going with it. <laughs> I'm going to bring you into this. I promise. I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. So in golf world, this it's just a podcast now. We can say where they want. Yeah, okay. So fucking shut up and let me talk. You fucking shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is the five. How about, how about you shut up and make some sense already? This is the five-year-old edition of Spin Talk. 
We knew, but but we I always shut up if you would make some goal. sense. Okay, this week in golf world, yes, uh, they talked to Scott Fawcett, right? And so, if your players like um, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, if you're a professional player, take out the driver. You know, he was saying even at Wingfoot, those guys can take advantage because if you're hitting, you know, again wedge out of the rough, that's uh, much better than a than a five iron even from the fairway. But for the average player, the the smart play is always to get it in play, as yeah. um, a shot link will prove. And also, and then as Fawcett also talked about, and this connecting what we were talking about, as I attempt to make sense, is is hitting to the fat side of the green. Yeah. And I was talking with a guy uh, yesterday uh, who talked, who mentioned that a U.S. golf team. Uh, university team went out and the uh, the coach took all the flags out and the kids played without any flags so they're all hitting generally to the middle of the greens and almost to a man and a woman they all shot lower than usual interesting um i want to get into that with you in a second did you want is mike trying to get back into your meeting here because i don't i don't see him because i'm not controlling it i'm kidding um, did you kick him out you, because you, you, got, you... I didn't kick him out. You did. You got mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> you got mad um, at him and you said, enough with you. Do you have... Uh, well, text him or something. Right. He's he's the head pro at your golf club. Don't I'll you have text him. Contact, Hang on a second. Hang on. Here contact he is. info? Here he is. Lost. He's saying I lost you guys. I'll just go try again. Try and yeah. come back. Um, well, first of all, all joking aside... You know I love what you have to say. That's why. And I'm quite fond of you as a human. I know. I know. I get this Fraser Crane vibe from you that you're listening. I can tell you that uh, my handicap is maybe slightly lower than it usually is at this time. I think it's 1.2 or 3. I'm not quite scratched, but I'm not. I've kind of. Not scratched, dude. And, I, and I've sent you all those scores. Remember, I did I not yeah, send you the screen cap? I did, yeah, that was cool. And the reason I sent it to you, and I sent it to Charles as well, was it was just a screen cap of my last 10 rounds of consistency. Hmm. And, and the reason I wanted to share that with you is that what's different about my golf this year and last year, and it's been heading this way, is that it? All those rounds happened with different golf swings. <laughs> you know the the basic structures there, but you know I didn't hit all great shots. I've just Scott. You know Tim and I took this Scott Fawcett seminar together, and I'm starting to see that. There's Marsh, the Scott Fawcett idea of mitigating misses, right? Yep. Um, we can get more into that when we're we're going to let Mike go in about five minutes because I want to do the last half hour with you. Mike, are you still there? Mikey? I kind of hear him. I hear him, too. Fun. I just can't see him. He hasn't turned his uh, video on. He scared us. His screen cap scared us. <laughs> I think that, yeah. Mike, turn your audio on. Talk to us, please. This is getting more and more like the Humble and Fred show all the time. We have so many people on Zoom some days. We just like, can you turn your mic? You have to turn your audio on. Anyway, well, until he does, we can just finish this. Scott Fawcett told us in a room full of elite amateurs and budding professionals, he said, oh, there he is. I'm back. Thanks, buddy. We're just talking about this... uh, sort of stats guru guy whose seminar that that Timmy and I took and and one of the things he said it was a room full of scratch golfers elite amateurs budding professionals and he said guys one of the most incredible statistics about Tiger Woods that you would never imagine is he was one of the most conservative uh, golfers of his generation meaning that on holes where he didn't have a shot to the flag he hit it to 30 feet he was the best lag putter of the last 50 years and and he just waited for his chances so in, in amateur terms it's not the birdies and pars you make it's the doubles and triples and quads you don't make Correct. and if you're somebody that's shooting 86 to 90 
you're you're easily good enough to shoot 80 because those five to six shots around, Mike, is what we've been talking about. Where are those five to six shots around, in your opinion? A lot are around the green, um, making bad choices where, okay, you're short-sighted and you're in the rough and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to hit it to a foot. Yeah. Well, you're probably not going to. So where is it going to leave you the easiest putt to try to make par still being on the green? Um, there's a couple holes on our golf course for sure that, uh, like for Leithfield, if you're down left of the green by that bunker and the pins in the front, just hit it in the meat of the green and let your putter try. Right? right. As long as you're on the green, you're not going to, you know, you shouldn't three whack if you're a 15 handicap. Okay, Mike. So there's there's a couple of strokes, and what we would call that mm-hmm. in the Scott Fawcett world is not too chipping. And so if you're short Correct. if you're short sighted yourself and you're a 15 handicapper and you two chip. So you've gone from your third shot getting on the green, easy two-putt bogey, to two-chipping. Now your fourth shot's on the green. You're a little bit rattled, and maybe you yeah. you thin it. Now you're 35 feet. You three-putt, and now you've made seven where five would have been so easy. Now, and, and so now we're talking about a couple of shots, a couple of times around that you do that. Where else do amateurs lose it? Uh, especially, like, off the tee, I find. They're, they're hitting... They're hitting clubs that they shouldn't be, or they're taking lines that they shouldn't be. And, you know, prime example on the first hole of our golf course, if you can't carry the three bunkers on one scotch block, don't hit a driver. <laughs> Why are you hitting or, toward or, or, them? Yeah, yeah, or hit it right, right into the – there's a massive fairway. Or hit something that if you want to take that line, because it'll give you a shorter second shot, it's something that's not going to get you into them. But here's Tim. Wait, but now here's here's Tim's uh, area. Why won't most men? I'll say men because we're super mm-hmm. ego. Most men aren't going to stand on the first hole of a golf course and and hit a hybrid, but they should on that hole in particular. Mike's talking about. You're not getting to the green in two. Either take that way right line or lay up. But Timmy, most guys won't do that. No, it's because we're uh, macho, macho men. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm supposed to take driver here, and plus the fact I paid 600 bucks for it. Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, what will the guys will needle me? Uh, or, you know, what will they think of me if I'm not playing, you know, pedal to the metal yeah. all the time and, and, and taking risks? And isn't that what we're supposed to do as bold men out here in the, in the cold tundra or whatever? I don't know, Mike, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I've got I got a funny story from when I worked at Lakeview. And uh great golf playing course. Golf and yeah. Great golf course. Great golf course. Um, I was playing Lakeview and I was playing with a, a, a young kid that was trying to get his card and we got to four, fourteen and it's a drivable par four if you can hit a good one and it's downwind. But it makes no sense to hit driver on that hole. <laughs> Because your landing zone is like a hula hoop. So I get up on the tee and I hit three iron to the to the middle of the fairway and leave myself a sand wedge into the green. Jenna, this young kid that I'm playing with, gets up and just rips driver, hits it down onto 15 tee, but not really on the tee. It was on a side hill. And now he's short-sided himself. He walks away and I ask him, why did you hit driver there? Well, because I can get there. Right? Okay, sure. I make birdie. He makes double. And I said, are you going to hit driver there again? <laughs> like probably, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like, it's just decisions that, you know, take, take the big number out of play. Why yep. are you hitting driver on hole seed? That's not even necessary. And you yeah. saw it yesterday. If you're watching the golf, yep. if, you know, there's one guy out there ripping driver everywhere because that's his game plan. And everybody else is plotting their way around the golf course. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same situation that you talked about, like your Lakeview story. I played in um, match play against a, a kid. You know, anyone who's under forty to me is a kid. That's right. <laughs> this guy was about twenty nine. Yeah, Tim and I call forty um, year olds kids. Just so you know, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, you know, I former university player. I would say he's close to scratch. You know, anywhere at least under a five, at least, because it was gross match play. He drove it over the green on number six at Blue Springs, which is about 350. Uh, and I I tied him on that hole. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then on hole number eight, he fires at a back pin. We never found the ball. Yeah. You know, it was just, and I took him to, you know, I had no business taking him to 17. You know, little old guy who <laughs> just dinks it around. But it was just through, just by playing, I, I guess, smart golf. Yeah. That I was able to able to do that, but I, I just think the thing for our listeners is is that, and maybe Mike, this is maybe I can ask you, um, how do golfers make that switch to a mindset of not just putting all their energies on hitting you know twenty seven irons as perfect as they can to, to ingrain their good mechanics to making this switch to playing the game, if you will. It's, I mean, it's definitely a lot mental. Um, physically, I like to, when I'm teaching lessons and, and when I'm practicing myself, which I haven't really done that much of this year, but, uh, you know, I'll go out and if I'm working on something specific, I'll do that box training, mm. right? I'll hit, I'll hit and try and, you know, get that feeling of where, where does, where does my release point need to be here? How's my impact or, I'll work on something, but then I'll go out and play nine holes. And it's always nine holes on my home golf course. And I'm on the range. So I pick two targets on the range and go, okay, well, what's this hole? Okay, this is one lease field. It's a four iron or five iron. So I hit the five iron and go, okay, did I hit that good? Okay, now I know I have this much. So now I pick a flag. And if you can practice that way, I think that's the easiest way to kind of transition you know, range time being Ranger Rick out there and hitting great mm-hmm. shots to actually seeing uh, results come out on the golf course. Because I agree. Now you're getting used to not just standing and hitting 12, 14, 18 drivers in a row. Now you're switching back and forth to clubs and play. You can play a little point system game and always have some sort of, if you're, you know, training for a tournament have some sort of punishment if you don't get right. You know, I, I, well, I, I like that. Points. I like the word a consequence. There has to be a consequence for missing a shot in this fantasy game. And 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 Mars, before we let you go, I want you guys to hear that. That's a great way to use your range time to sort of simulate the game a little bit more. And I can tell you, if you're ever lucky enough to get uh, in this man's group, you'll see how a uh, a very good player plays very well and not just because you do listen you you're a guy that hits it good but i know you don't hit every every shot perfectly i don't we don't but uh, it's the way you kind of plop your way around a golf course which i think is impressive mike marshall the head professional at glen karen uh thanks for your time today kid i know you're busy with you know all your other things you do Uh, i just have one quick question guys quick question before you go though if I put my rangefinder in a blender, <laughs> if I put it in a blender, then do I take it out and put it in rice just to make sure? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You soak it in water first so that it re- reattaches, and then you put it in rice. Yeah. Uh, I don't have time to explain how dumb that is, but it's been a season-long running gag with me and Mike about members asking them, Mike, if I get my rangefinder, it doesn't work. Mike Marshall, you're a good man, and uh, send me the uh, times for the Ryder Cup. You got it. Thanks, right. boys. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, my Sorry God. About the little technical difficulties. Thanks, Mike. That was awesome. Yeah, you know, hey, I had, listen. I had a blast, guys. This is just like a round of golf. Sometimes you dunk it. it happens. That's true. Marsh, take yeah, care, man. range finder. <laughs> uh, just let yourself out of the meeting. Um, you got it. You know, I'll answer the question that I asked Mike. And I think you and I talked about it, Tim, that Thursday where you and I went out and we played our little lesson together. Mm-hmm. I think if I were somebody like you that taught people, as opposed to somebody like me that just, you know, talks, teaches the odd friend what I've been taught, I would say this to somebody. What do you want out of... You, you often ask your students, what do you want out of this game? And uh, they come up with all kinds of things and fellowship and blah, blah, blah. But I think that at the heart of a lot of those answers is I want to score lower golf points. I want to not shoot as high as I'm shooting now. And then I would say to them, but really, is that really what you want? Because what you said about those first tee, macho, I have to hit driver, blah, 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 
Because if you're really, if you can put all the things you want to do better in golf and really believe that the truth of it all is we all want to score lower. I don't care. If you say you don't, you're lying. 100%. So I would then say, okay, if you want to score lower golf points, are you willing to do what it takes to do that? Will you hit a hybrid off the first tee at Glencairn and Scotch Block? Because you don't want to go in those bunkers. Because those bunkers are like going in the water. Exactly. You know, you have said this. I've said it. If Tim and I caddied for you listening, I promise you, I, I know the two of us could get six shots off your score right now. Not one thing different with your golf swing. It's just that we are, we charge a lot of money to do that. <laughs> we should. But but I think it's more like my brother's, in my older brother's language, it would be, what do you stand for? Well, exactly. That, that is a great question. Because if we don't know what we're going to stand for, we're all, it's so easy to fall back into old patterns and behaviors that don't serve us. I mean, that's, that's what happens to this ego thing. I was kind of joking about Macho Man, but... That's no, true. A lot of guys have this, you know, well, um, they've got this self-image. They've got this belief system of how they're supposed to show up in the world. And then you get stressed. And you know, let's say on a tee, well, I should, I should hit a hybrid, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to hit driver because this guy's been needling me and yeah. I need to show him. So you're going to revert back to things that don't serve you. And, and it's just what we ha- do as human beings, uh, particularly when we're tired, maybe a little grumpy, whatever. So the key thing is, as you said, what do we stand for? So when we figure that out, and then we make a commitment. Right. And because if you don't commit to the future you want to create, you're always going to fall back to the past. That's yeah. just going to happen. Is what do I want in the world? What I'm going to take a stand for for me, put my stake in the ground, and then it takes your commitment. Because if you don't have a commitment, it's just so easy. It's that You're like a ship. Uh, without a rudder on the ocean, you're right? Blowing all over the place. You're there with you. You're you're there with your buddies. <clears throat> it's a long par five. Maybe it's downwind, but you've committed to lower scores, so you know that you're not. You're going to play it as a three shot hole. This is what happens typically to a lot of golfers. But then you get up there, and everyone else is hitting driver. So you kind of go, oh, I guess maybe I should hit driver. But I thought you wanted to lower your score. Exactly. Because I can tell you at. Well, I'm not as experienced as you, but I'm very experienced in the world of golfers. And I can tell you this, at the core of every golf conversation after a round is, I wish I would have shot lower. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the woulda, shoulda, couldas, but it's in the in the heart. I wish I could have shot lower in today's golf score. And maybe not just because that's my ego and that's it's I feel better about myself. Whatever the reason... If you stand for shooting lower golf scores, you'll make decisions, I think, that will lead to lower golf scores, regardless of what flush or not, what how your swing is feeling or it's not. Um, what Mike described about short-siding yourself, like I learned that lesson this summer. My buddy Henrik said, you know, I was in the club championship the first round when I went crazy and punched myself and all that stuff. Um, I was short-sided. On that hole he's talking about, and I tried to get too cute, and I chipped up, and I stubbed it, and I made a double bogey. And Paul said to me at the end of the round, he said, why didn't you just get it on the green and make a soft bogey or a chance at par? And I'm like, well, because at my level, shouldn't I be able to go? He, doesn't, he said, in that moment, it doesn't matter exactly. what your level is. It matters that you get it on the green. Now, maybe at my level, I could get it to 10 feet, and and someone else's level is 30 feet, but on the green leads to a chance at par, worst bogey. And if you hear nothing else that Tim and I have said in four years, is a chance at par, worst bogey, is should be the name of the show. Like, cause, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. What are you doing in your golf game that always gives you a chance at the lower golf score? Because let's cut the bullshit. That's all what we want. 
yeah, it's fun to talk to people and be outside, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it's a lot of very cool stuff there. Um, just quickly. No, can we I, take your time? You've got 20 play, minutes. No, I learned how to play the front pin at Blue Springs number 16 last year. And I remember being. Is that the you know, par three? No, it's a par four, kind of up the hill. Yes, yes. That front, that front pin, uh, you got it. The, the green at the front really cants uh, sharply from. It's just a slope off the green, um, so you don't want to be above that pin. Um, so the point I'm making is that it's not unusual to hit the ball and it rolls back down, or it goes into the bunker. Right. So the traditional. My traditional approach was, well, I want to try and chip this in or get as close as possible. And then I learned last year, it was like, you know what? Just get this thing to like two or three feet below that hole, leaves myself an easy uphill putt. Yeah. And because, so that's kind of where I learned. And that's kind of like the practical thing that we're talking about is making those decisions on the golf course. They're going to leave you, uh, you're not going to put yourself further in jail or leave yourself, you know, with like, you know, a downhill putt or something. But it's really, what I thought was came up to me was, yes, so after a round, uh, we haven't scored well and we're disappointed. And I think that the, the sense of disappointment is, is, is about the score, but it's also, if you go a little bit deeper, it's that they're disappointed in themselves about how they showed up that day. And that, you know, they, they, that they, were committed to some kind of a, a plan that day and about, say, visualizing a shot, and they abandoned that pretty quickly. Or they got caught up in trying to hit it past somebody or things like that. So they start to move away from the things that, that they wanted to do. So they really haven't shown up the way that they, they want to, whether, you know, in golf. And often that, and, and that happens. It's the same things, man. That's why I love this game is because it's the same things. You know, I'm going to talk to my daughter in this way. Well, when it comes and she starts screaming at me, yeah. I start screaming back. That's what I didn't want to do that. Well, it's addition. like, if, if I may interject, it's like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> but But I would tell you, if I may also continue this interruption, that most golfers are disappointed, as I used to be, because... I had been taught something by my golf instructor, and I go to the golf course, and now I can't even do that. Exactly. And I'm shitty. But I can tell you, as having switched the last couple of years to my my golf game goes, can as, as Paul, my teacher, said to me yesterday, so you've now become, because I've played about five or six different courses recently and shot basically the same score. With, but he said, because your golf swing isn't what goes from course to course. It's your game that goes. You can, you can take your good planning and your good smarts from course to course, whatever the, whatever the day brings you. Because, you know, at the end of a round, what, what I'll look, look back now is not reflect on swings and why didn't my right arm tuck like I, I wanted it to. It's like, mm, I made a couple of decisions with clubs. That might have been the wrong decision. And now Tim is gone. That was weird. I'll just continue on my own. Um, What I mean by that, swing thought people, is, you know, just because you've got 185 yards to a green doesn't mean you need to hit it 185 yards. I know that seems pedestrian. What, what I have learned is that the, the plan of where to leave the ball, it's available for everyone. If you don't have a, if you don't have a good lie or you can't carry it to a spot, you know, I had a situation yesterday. You know, I was in kind of a scruffy lie on a very long par four and I was playing with my, you know, friend and my mentor, Paul Henrik. And, uh, he had me take a lot less club. Less than I probably thought I should have, because he said, really, your job now isn't to get it on the green, it's to get it around the green so that you have an easy up and down, because from where I was to where I needed to go, it was very difficult, even at my level. It was a difficult shot. 
in a difficult situation. Now, an older version of me would have taken, you know, maybe it was 190, would have taken a five iron and tried to blast it to the middle of the green. The problem with this hole is there's nothing but trouble left. And if you go long at all and left, the hole's over. You're in some stuff. You can barely find the ball. And it's a very difficult shot if you find the ball. So what I did is I choked down on a six iron and he had me actually aim away from the green, like to to the right of the green. The idea being that aim there and if you draw it, maybe it'll, you know, dribble onto the surface. But in the absence of drawing it, which is what happened, I just sort of hit it straight to the right edge of the green and it didn't hit the green. But I was just shy of pin high. Lie was kind of okay, pretty easy up and down. And uh, hit it to a couple feet, made a four. The point of the story is, sometimes it's smarter not to play for the green, but we don't think that way. You know, we all we all think that the the you're supposed to always aim at the flag, or you're supposed to all always aim at the green. Oh, here comes Tim O'Connor. Hang on, hi Tim. I'm just still talking to everybody. What's going on? Uh, our Wi-Fi croaked. Um, oh, hang on. Sean got kicked, my son Sean got kicked off too, so he's just resetting it. Oh, that's um, fine. I'm just still. I'm just talking to the people. I just told them uh, the continuation of that story. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, I, while I have you on, I can the people can kind of hear you. But uh, one of the things I, I was, I, I was, I just want to leave. If you have to go, I want to leave you with this idea. No, I got, I got, I got five-ish minutes. The, the point I'm trying to make to everyone is, in, in the end, and this is how I've decided it's the best way to phrase it, a good plan, if you, if you pull it off, great, but a good plan leads to better mistakes. Right? Uh, yeah. And, and uh, with no plan you have, who knows what's going to happen, but if you have a bad plan, trying to hit a three-wood into a par five that's surrounded by trouble, traps, weeds, whatever... Well, that's a bad plan, and if you don't pull it off to perfection, you're going to be in trouble. And, uh, you know, what you said about Scott Fawcett and uh, that article, it's, it's even at the highest level, those guys are looking in those yardage books, pouring over the details to try and formulate the best plan they can, they can in that moment. Would you not agree? Absolutely. Absolutely, they are. But I... I Something came to me is that is um, I think when you have a good plan, you tend to hit better shots. I mean, um, like I had a situation yesterday where uh, eighteen on the eighteenth hole, I'm in the in the rough on the right hand left hand side, and I'm about one twenty five out, and I got to hit it under a tree up to a green, and I just so I kind of saw the shot I wanted to hit, and I hit I just hit this five iron that was like, you know, it hit about you know, 100 feet short of the green and ran up to 10 feet. Nice. And it was based on having a good plan. It's like, and I think that, um, let me ask you your experience, but I find that when I have uh, a shot that takes some kind of ingenuity, some planning, okay, I'm going to hit here, do this, it's going to land there, I tend to hit better shots. Yep. How about you? Well, it's what we said earlier in the show while you were still on Zoom. It, it, if you, you know, if I give you a three-wood, it raises your, uh, you get a little bit sort of activated. If I give you a wedge, if I give you a wedge or a nine-iron, your your whole body language changes. You know, I was, giving, I was giving everyone an example. I was playing with Paul Henrik yesterday. We get to the last hole, and I just called him over because I had kind of a hanging lie. I've only got 145 to the green. And there's trouble right, there's trouble short. And I said, you know, Palsy, I think I'm going to play this like it's 120 yards. He goes, perfect. Because because I, I the, the golf course was playing hard and fast, and I really just wanted to get it to the middle of the green and then let the ball release and do its thing. Whereas before I would have said, 142, I'll help my nine iron in the air and see if I can land it. And I, and, and I might have done that. But then it hits at 142, bounces over the green, and now I've got a tough up and down. The point I'm trying to make is I didn't pull that shot off. I blocked it slightly, but because I was aiming so far left, my little wedge sort of blooper kind of blocked to the middle of the green and ran to the back sort of almost pin high. And I was like, oh, 
good plan, not great execution, but the window of the margin for error was much greater. And I was, I ended up like, like when, you know, when people say like a good, bad shot, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But it's very interesting that, that, um, People say that Phil Mickelson hits the ball better when he has to hit it off the straw between two pine trees <laughs> because he's focused. And I just I find that happens to me too. And I think it happens to a lot of golfers is that when you have to hit a shot, and you need to bear down on, on where you want this to go, maybe the trajectory. And you know, I'm gonna you know, as you just described, I'm gonna hit to this side of the green. We tend to hit better shots because I think, as our friend Ed Collins would say. When we kind of do that type of work, our body organizes around itself and the shot comes off rather than, you know, I'm going to focus on, you know, something to do with my elbow or my left eyebrow. No, you know, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I and that's the other thing about, you know, I said this a few shows ago that, you know, decent rounds... And I had a lot of decent rounds lately, or just kind of an amalgam of a bunch of okay shots, you know. And not a lot, you know. Like Hogan said, like you guys were saying on the show, yeah, we might hit one or two or three, like on the button. But most of them are just kind of variations of kind of okay, like that second shot into the par four I finished yesterday. It wasn't, you know, nutted, and it wasn't, but it was an okay shot. That because I was planning way away from the trouble, and I st- I still blocked it a little bit, but I blocked it, you know, to the middle of the green, um, yeah. and and that's kind of I think where I w- we should end this. Where the takeaway is, you don't have to be, you know, perfect all the way around. Golf is not a game of perfect. Is where all of this began for me, and I finally yeah. understand that it's a game of just okay. Absolutely, because when it, when it's just okay, uh, I think it's more about um, you can have a lot more fun. And a, a horse that I've been riding for a while now is about you, you get to experience more freedom. You know, as you say, rather than you know quaking uh, as you stand over a three wood, um, you're able to just swing with a lot, lot freer, uh, not as much anxiety, not as much tension. And that's a recipe for hitting better shots and just getting better outcomes. Are you playing the, uh, are you in the Ryder Cup thing this weekend? No, I'm not, unfortunately. No, I'm actually, um, I'm helping move my mom. Aww. Um, yeah, she's, she's moving from her apartment to uh, an independent living place for people of a certain age. Well, I wish you well. Um, Mike Marshall, he uh, sent me a note a couple of days ago. He said, someone dropped out of the uh, Ryder Cup. Do you want to play? I'm like, yeah, sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to play, uh, play your golf course on Saturday, and I will, I'll try and plot my way around that quirky uh, couple of holes there, including my nemesis, number 10. I've got a whole new plan about how to play that now. Seven iron, seven iron. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you have a great week, Timmy O'Connor. You too. Good to talk to you, man. All right. Take care. All right. I'm going to close the show now. There's Tim O'Connor. He's gone. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever done this before. I'm going to take like another minute, and I'm going to tell you the. this is some golf spiritual leader stuff. If you've taken nothing away from our show... Uh, in four years, or nothing else away from today's show. I can't stress this enough. If you stand for a lower score as part of what you love about the game, and let's not bullshit each other, it's what you want to do. You want to shoot whatever number you're shooting, whether it's 90, 80, or 70, you want to shoot a number lower than that. That the pathway, the I wrote it down here, the sort of, the, 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 the path to nirvana in golf, which is lower scores, I used to think that pathway was through the driving range. And the reason I wanted Marshall on today is because he's a guy that teaches on the golf course. And so whether you're working with Marshall or, or O'Connor or somebody or get with somebody that can teach you how to play golf like you would learn how to play chess because... You know, if you've got an opportunity to save a stroke, as my buddy Paul says, to be stingy around the greens, 
you will find yourself gathering scores in a way that uh, another friend of our show, Paul Doolin, calls it being a score farmer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange way to look at golf, but you're there on every hole to do what you can to plant the seeds of lower scores. And sometime, like at the U.S. Open, when they played this golf course back in the, you know, back in the old days when golf was tough for young men, some of those par threes, it's legendary that this old golfer, I can't remember his name now, but they mentioned him this week. He laid up on a par three every day in the tournament to keep his ball below the hole because he knew he could get up and down from there and he made four pars four days in a row by not hitting the green on a par three. That is a score farmer. All right. Thanks very much, everybody. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. That's our sponsor. O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, you can uh, hear me do my regular thing, you know, the radio thing, with uh, Freddie P. on the Humble and Fred Show. And we'll see you next week. We are down south.